Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Scaffold Talks. Today, we are going to discuss scaffold collapses. For those of you who were last month, maybe you remember that it was already number one for Christmas shutdown. The only reason for being different is that now it's going to be a fixed series once a month, and we are recording it. So for those who will not be able to attend, we will post it later as a, as a recording. Now, scaffold collapses, it's been on the news very, uh, very recently. Late, the latest one was uh, the Saturn scaffold that fell down at the, at the 2nd of, of January, fortunately without any casualties. But there, are, there have been many more just during 2023 in the USA, Germany, Brazil, uh, the UK, also in, in Italy. So it still is unfortunately a very, it's, it's on the news too often. So we will now share different uh, reasons why a scaffold may collapse and well, what we could do to, to avoid them. Today with me, I have again Isaac Morrison from Vertex Scaffolding. Hello, Isaac. Hello, and a happy new year to everybody tuning in. Yep. Happy New Year. I'm Phil Smith from my knowledge. Hello, Phil. I'm Barney. Yeah. Afternoon, guys. Yep. You, yes, yeah. I'm done with Happy New Year. So, Carl's <laughs> the 15th, guys, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to wait till next year. <laughs> and this is Alejandro Garcia, creator of the of Scaffold Design for Scaffolders YouTube channel. Now, I, ha I have made a quick list of some reasons for the scaffold collapse, and then we will go through a few examples of previous collapses. So for example, it could be overloading or high winds. I mean, nature can become more powerful than any design for, for we could make. And untested ties, bad design, a bad direction, foundations failing, or also, on occasions, is the impact of a vehicle. Now, Isaac, would you like to start with with an example? Well, I think there's a, a couple of examples, and I wanted to sort of um, take these three. Um, the third one being something that's just been in the news recently, and I suppose once once we get to something, we can open it up and maybe discuss mm. possible whys and wheres for for that one, because you know, ultimately, at the minute, none of us really know. Um, but, you know, I wanted to sort of take it back to a few different areas because the, the, the first two that I'm going to mention sort of took place when, from a legislative point of view, things looked slightly different in the UK. So all the way back in 2000, uh, and if anybody's attended a basic scaffold inspection or an advanced scaffold inspection or <laughs> pretty much any CISRS training course, I'm being honest, uh, they'll remember the Cardiff um, scaffold collapsed. Um, all the way back in the year 2000. Um, now, what's happened since 2000 is we've had a revision to the work height regulations. Um, what's happened since the next one that I want to mention, which was uh, Milton Keynes in 2006, is it's been uh, the introduction of the construction design and management regulations. And there's even been a revision to the construction design and management regulations. So it's been from uh, 2009 to 2000. And 15, so both of those two examples have taken place 
in different legislative and I'm not saying that these two incidents uh, prompted the changes in legislation but I'm sure they will have been part of the thinking when the legislation changed um, too often in you know in health and safety and in um, you know anything attached to the um, health and safety work act and even the health and safety work act itself they tend to come around as the result of something going terribly wrong uh, health and safety work act you had the um Aberfran disaster where a, a, essentially a mine collapsed and took out a primary school um bs5975 was prompted by you know a collapse of a bridge and you know therefore the you know the brag, brag report followed um so unfortunately it does take you know really catastrophic incidents for for things to change a lot of the time to go back to cardiff in in 2000 um very similar to sutton you know it's that time of year high winds um scaffold comes over and you know typically everybody blames the wind um once you know investigations take place you know a clearer picture of what actually happened is formed so uh when they did the investigation what they realized is that there was a poor uh fairly inadequate um testing regime for the ties um there were 300 masonry anchors specified on the drawing for that one of the 300 anchors, only uh, only 98 had been installed. And of the 98 that had been installed, only uh, 30 had been installed correctly. They were expansion anchors. Uh, anyone who knows anything about expansion anchors, you have to have a specific tool to set them. A second punch, uh, it leaves a witness mark on the anchor, and you know that hadn't been used. Uh, luckily, in the Cardiff example, nobody was hurt. It happened at around midnight. Um, the only real images that we have are, uh, you know, grain images on CCTV cameras. So fast forward to 2006, bearing in mind this is after the revision of the, um, the work at Health Regulations in 2005. Um, you know, we, we have the Milton Keynes collapse. Now, from a technical perspective, um, it was kind of before what we'd known now as TG20. Uh, there was kind of a revision of TG20 out in 05, uh, but only really moved over to, um, you know, TG20 proper in 08. Um, so people were still doing things they shouldn't have been doing. The scaffold that went up in Milton Keynes in 2006 uh, was built with no design. It was about 50 metres high. Um, sheeting attached to it where no speed, uh, sheeting was you know, calculated into the design. I'm sure Alejandro will be able to inform us more about what that looks like uh, as we go on. But no, you know, wasn't designed to, to carry the sheet in. Again, very high winds. And in, in this case, uh, subcontractors had started removing um, anchors and as a sort of interim measure, box tying themselves around a tower crane. Uh, unfortunately on that one, we, we weren't as lucky. Um, in 2006, um there was one uh poor soul unfortunately lost his life a guy called um john robinson the tragedy of that is working with his son mark um they were working um you know on the scaffold when it when it collapsed um alongside another guy a guy called ivan penkov um all three on the scaffold you know when it when it came over and unfortunately by the time you know the the son had been recovering from his injuries um, you know, his father had lost his life in hospital. So, you know, really, really tragic circumstances. And unfortunately, as Alejandro said, 
this isn't um, just specific to the UK. You know, we're, I'm talking now from experience of work, working within the UK, but this happens, unfortunately, globally and on a regular basis. So, you know, the aim of today's talk is from a health and safety perspective, from a commercial perspective, I'm sure Phil's going to share some insights on that. You know, what can we do in the future to avoid incidents uh, like Sutton? Um, I did notice somebody in the chat had the hand up, and I do apologise because I was sort of rambling on and trying to keep people um, <laughs> on theme. That hand's yeah, disappeared. Yeah, now. Do anyone know it was? With someone from Wales as well. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> it's by the name, so it could have been relevant. But uh, yeah, yeah I think he left. Yeah, maybe he was the guy who put it up. I don't. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, Phil, on the, uh, the sort of that's more your neck of the woods, isn't it? The Sutton Sutton collapse. It was starting to collapse. I don't, to be, honest with, to be honest with you guys, you know, social media has a lot of um, downfalls as well as, you know, upsides, you know, and um, I prefer to uh, work on facts. When these things happen, I think people forget how stressful it is for everyone involved. And um, you can imagine, if you was a scaffolding contractor, and you'd followed, it looked like a standard scaffold. I don't know what the purpose was. I don't think anyone does. So, like a fairly standard scaffold, built to design, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but as Alessandro said um, earlier, um, you know, things happen. Um, people take ties out routinely on scaffolds. There are multiple reasons why a scaffold might collapse, but... You know, the reality is that the scaffolding contractor is instantly drawn into it. So uh, from a commercial point of view, um, what do you do? Well, you try and protect yourself as best you can. And you can only really do that operationally. Um, if someone takes a tie out of the scaffold, you might say, yeah, okay, just put it back. Or, you know, we just put it back in. But, you know, I want to write to the client. I want to get that in writing and say, mate, you're taking ties out of your scaffold, okay? And I'm rectifying your scaffold, okay? The commercial side of whether you get paid or not is irrelevant at this stage. What you're doing is you are painting a picture um, because, you know, in six months' time, if there was a collapse and they keep taking ties out and it's not documented, I'll tell you what, you know, those conversations, they soon never happened. Um, and until you've been involved in a dispute like that, um, you know, you, you'll never know how um, how uh, mentally draining it is. Um, my sort of counterpart on Linden's um, over in Cardiff, actually, the depot over there, he made a lot of money um, for the company. And, you know, we were very, very um, non-corporate, if you like. We weren't, um, we never ended up at adjudication. But at once it did happen and he said, you know, they, they won at adjudication, but at the end of it, he said, you know what? He said, it grinds you down just constantly being called a liar, you know? So, you know, I think we've got to take a step back and say, actually, let's work out case by case. The problem I have with this industry is that it's all reactive. Everything in the HSC, it's reactive. We have to wait for people to get killed and everyone's wise after the event. So we, a scaffold collapses, we do an investigation, just like any other, you know, where do you start? Where's the design brief? How many times have you had a design brief? Does CDM require you to receive one, BS5975? I think BS5975 code certainly does. Um, you know, and it's a really good, this is what I need, this is what I want. Hardly ever get that. So how am I supposed to design something that is 
um, you know, I've spoken about this commercially. Uh, it needs to be articulated, you know. This is what I'm giving you. This is why it's really good to refer to NASD guidance load classes because there's a fucking great description behind it, yeah, and it refers to something that, you know, is, is a correct code that, you know, uh, the HSC, the legislation supports. So, you know, for me, it's taken that step back. There's multiple reasons, and I think we all know what those multiple reasons are. I think if I'm going to get boring and talk health and safety a little bit, you know, uh, the pyramid we'll talk about um, when we discuss health and safety, I think it's multiple factors layered on layers. And effectively, scaffolding is so over-engineered, you usually protect it, but every now and again you get a freak set of circumstances um, or just a complete fuck-up and... Um, <laughs> You know, a scaffold collapses. I mean, a year or two ago, a scaffold collapsed because the building collapsed on it. And the yeah, first immediately on the news was, you know, the scaffold's collapsed. It's like, hang on, do you know what I mean? Now, imagine if you owned that scaffolding company and it's all over the news and everyone's fucking on social media. You know, it, it, so I think in, in that respect, I think we've got to have empathy for people. People don't set out to... Absolutely trying to hurt people it's hard enough being a scaffolder as it is um without having this sort of um you know and the, 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 some of the comments on social media are just fucking outrageous i mean literally i mean you, yeah I no think idea what has so yeah yeah so look that's um that's my uh, take on it i think um we need better training um you know testing ties for example um, I mean, most people have never even heard of TG4 until you get to a certain level. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's a problem. I find that crazy, you know. I really do. Like, I've, I've said this, you know, many different, uh, on many different talks, many different forums. You know, if, if you were to talk to a scaffolder about and just even mention SG4, straight away, whoever you're talking to, yeah, know what you mean. And they might not be able to articulate it, but they get that it's roughly harnesses, lanyards, you know, um, work at height. If you say SG6, you might get some. But okay, it drops off a bit. If you say TG4 to a lot of scaffolders, um, you know, it's completely lost on them. Um, yeah, I love it. It just, it just, because no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Any acronym's good, isn't it? To throw into a meeting just to say, <laughs> well, listen, I mean, to be honest with you, mate, I know more than you do, yeah? And Alan, uh, the engineers, <laughs> well, they do it to us, Phil, don't they? Dear God, you start talking about kilowatts and fucking God knows what else. Um, the guy, it's game over, isn't it? So, yeah, do you, do you play that game, Alejandro? Do you do, you do that? Well, I mean, DG4 is, is mentioned on every design I have done for the last six or seven years. So I, I was hoping, so, I mean, at least, at least it says this is the pilot. You must test the bolts up to 25% extra. Yeah. Even if they don't know what DG4 is, hopefully they understand that you must test the, the bolts anyway. Well, I always say it like this, right? Essentially, um, yeah, it's the safe working load plus 25%. And um, it's 5% of the ties with a minimum of three. So if you had four ties, you'd test three. And if you had, um, yeah, if you had... <laughs> Essentially, it's all the point where if you add fifteen ties, you test three as well. Or yeah, it's all so, the point yeah. where five percent becomes more yeah, than three. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, but 
it very rarely it is carried out. Very rarely it's carried out properly. I know. Well, I mean, you, you think that's that's proof tests, but then for a lot of buildings, they re require preliminary, preliminary tests. Have they been carried out? And then one thing I used to find all the time when I'd be out doing inspections, um, and a lot of the time when I've been asked to actually go out and uh, conduct the pull test, uh, it'd be, right, well, you know, they're, they're the ones we want you to test. And you're like, well, what about the rest of them? And it's like, it's only the top lift that's boarded. And you're like, well, there's, there's five tyres in this top lift, and that's not 5% because there's, like, quite a lot of lifts. Um, and therefore, you know, how, how can we get an accurate, uh, sec, you know, section of tyres tested? Yeah. You know, you should be doing it as you go because, you know, heaven forbid one of them fails while we're up here and then we have to double it because we can't. There is a commercial <laughs> issue there because one of the problems of modern scaffolding is... Everyone wants a cutter. Everyone wants a drill. Don't know why, by the way. Especially if you're putting scaffold out, just get the right size fucking tubes. You know what I mean? So, you know, everyone want, like a tide tester. How much the tide tester? I think my one they're twelve hundred quid, right? The decent ones, yeah. With yeah the, I think no, they're not. Only give them to a scout, they get lost, stolen, damaged. They got to be calibrated. You know, they're over at Hydra Jaws. That takes a day or two getting there and back. You know, you can't give one to every gang, right? Um, and you know, like in a city town invite in London, mate, you ain't having you ain't got a load of vans driving about. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's getting a tube to work, yeah. You know, you're not carrying a tie tester around with you. So, you know, it's you've you've got to look at what the reality is, yeah, um, for a scaffolding business. Do you know what I mean? You, you're giving guys um, you know, a huge amount of, of, of asset that is very, very hard to track, maintain, manage. Is often um, abused, stolen, lost. You know, it's like, what? Why should I look after a, a huge asset like that? It's not my problem. And I, yeah, I get that. You know, um, so there, there are there are practicalities um, about it. It's just sort of like, how do we make the? How do we educate people? Do you know what I mean? And and it all goes back to training because ultimately. Mm -hmm. The training is shit, right? And like you say, people, they've never even heard of TG4. You hear about people saying, oh, you know, I'm trying to, you're trying to reinvent the wheel. NASC, they call the guidance. It's all covered. Everything's there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, I don't know why people fucking get into such a tiz. Do you know what I mean? It, those documents are fucking brilliant, by the way. Um, and I've been plagiarising them for years, right? Do you know what I mean? I think we all have, right? Let's be honest here, yeah? Yeah. Fuck me, I hope Clive ain't listening. Um, but, but yeah, why would you, like you say, why would you reinvent the wheel? Why would you, why would you go and... People that just get, just fucking keep it simple. And this is what I mean. If I'm referring to something, I don't need to do a big detailed description. Just refer to a an, um, an NASC, a, a scaffold load class or something like that, a, a tie class or, you know, it's all there. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, it gives a description of a scaffold. You know, it's generally two metre centres, four or five boards wide with, you know, zero, one or two inside. But, you know, there's a description there, right? So, you know, all you've got to do then is just put in durations. All you then got to do is put in, you know, this is how I'm restraining the scaffold. Your building has to do the rest, mate. Yeah, and people forget that. It's your building. I'm telling you what we're going to impose onto your building. Um, in terms of um, live loads, right? And it's down to you to tell me whether that building can withstand those loads. So you give them the leg loads, you give them the uh, tie loads typically, yeah? Um, mm. and, 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 of course, that gets lost. Well, it's your scaffold, you tell me. It doesn't fucking work like that. 
I think you hit the nail on the head. My scaffold, you know, like fuck no. I think the nails it on the head. You know, when we when we first started, really, like there's so many different aspects to it. Um, you know, training definitely comes into it. Well, the client, um, I mean, part of the, the, the big part of it, and this is where, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned this with Alejandro, and I, so I think we could probably bring into this, but I mentioned it in a post where the, the client doesn't understand what they're buying most of the time. You know, they're relying on the scaffolding contractor. They're worried they're going to get uh, ripped off. Do you know what I mean? Now, people are cutting corners, and, you know, the pricing can be wildly um, different. You know, it wouldn't. it's not unusual for... You go in at a hundred grand on a job. Someone else, someone's at thirty-five, and you just think, "How could that be? It can't be." Um, so there, you know, there were challenges in that respect there. But just like the information you're getting, um, you know, it's down to the scaffolding contractor to ensure everything is covered. That's not how it works, guys. Right? Um, what's your thoughts there, mate? Right. Well, it's. Um... On, I mean, on, as, as of, for many other things, it's always a lack of a lack of information among the different parties. Or, I mean, you have a building with a main contractor, and then they call a scaffolder and say, "Put the scaffold up," and you say, "Well, give me some information, give me some drawings where I can put the ties." Or, well, you, well, it, it, the building is there. Can you just see where, where we need the scaffold? Yeah. So, and then you, you call the designer. And you say, well, this is the scaffold. Drawings? No. That's design brief? No, I don't have any. So then you prepare you prepare design for a scaffold that you don't have a design brief, you don't have a building drawings. So in the best case, if it's a brick, a brick wall, you can count bricks to get some height, approximate, and provide provide some tile loads. But at the end, if obviously provide tile loads without even knowing if the building can take those tile loads. So, I mean, it's like what Phil said. If you go back to TG4, it's there. You know, from I mean, we we uh, we had when I had the scaffolding business, we um, went to one of our jobs, and the lads. It was like a really sort of technical job for us, anyway. Uh, it was a cantilevered off the side of um, the Marriott Hotel in Centre of Manchester, so you know, quite high profile for us, um, fairly technical. And when the guys got back to the job the morning after. Um, they'd set the last row of ties in. They said they'd moved. <laughs> so we were like, oh, my God, like, out of all the jobs, like, why this one? Um, we went back out, um, got to the top lift. It looked like, you know, the, the tie had come loose a little bit. Um, and it was purely because of the location where we, where the uh, the lead scaffolder had put the ties. He put them in very close to the window reveals. Um, mm. Now, I know because I've delivered the training uh, quite a lot, you know, so I know... Um, if you look in TG4, there's a diagram, an example of a wall, tells you between 35 and 55 mil from the edge of a, you know, from the edge of a brick. Um, it tells you, you know, if the wall's rendered, you should be 500 mil away from that and re reveals, it gives you guidances on um, yeah. various different locations where you should and shouldn't um, set the ties. But like, as, as Phil said, and as we've alluded to, you, you say TG4 to a lot of people and um, they, they don't know what you're talking about, which is a real shame. It's a great document with a lot of uh, great information in there. Um, you know, long story short, we rang the engineer, we went belt and braces, we ended up what was tied every other standard, we tied uh, every leg and made sure that they were in the correct locations. Everything went off, 
you know, without a hitch. But you know, you, you do have those moments when your, your heart's in your mouth and you think you've um, done everything. And then you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you think, well, maybe we didn't. You know, if our guys don't know about TG four, that's that's on us, regardless of whether they've been with the company six weeks or six months. Or you know, we haven't been operating for six years at that point. But you know, they they should um, know about that kind of stuff, and it is on us to ensure that they do. Um, I think what a lot of us have mentioned when it comes to the training um, is the CPD, and I'm sure Phil will be uh, chomping at the bit to get in on this one. But I mean, if if a guy has been on his CPD course, let's say in let's say it was last week, and then um, in six months' time, NASC decide that they're going to make a revision to TG4, and it's going to include a bit of guidance on what to do for shear testing. By the way, that's a recommendation. I think that should be in there. Um, anyway, they decide they're going to put this update in there. Well, it's going to be five years until this guy, or just under, uh, learns about that virus CPD. And the party line is, well, the employer should be looking after that. But as any small scaffolding company you know, will tell you, um, it's difficult to, re- you know, to have the resource and the time and the flexibility to do that when you're a one-man band or yeah, you know, it's just you and your, your labourer. You know? The truth is that people are not trying to set ties. They're not trying to... Um, they're not face fit tested, you know, they're not trained to um, test ties. They might carry these things out, but they're not properly trained. People are not trained in full recovery procedures, yet they use specialist equipment, um, you know, to arrest them. You know, they fall if they if they fall a, a, you know, a, 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 um, a harness and lanyard, if you like, you know. If you really want to be, if you shit at scaffolding and you want a decent paid job in central London, um, just have a, um, a slinger signaler card. Um, you'll never get sacked from the big firms. Um, it's such a ball like it's an expensive course anyway, but you know, for the blue card, it's all the paperwork and just keeping on top of that. Um, and quite often, a lot of these companies are simply successful because they can be fucked. Um, to um, you know, the bureaucracy. A lot of these um, contracts require a huge amount of bureaucracy, and I like bureaucracy in this industry because I know how to deal with it, and many people don't. So, you know, in that respect, it gives me an advantage. But it is there, and it needs to be easier. Um, the fact is, as well, that many, many people um, don't invest anything in the industry. Um, and let's um, let's take um, you know, let's take training into that. You know, um, two week course for a job that you know involves um, a huge amount of technical knowledge required, putting specialist um, you know huge specialist um, structures um, around buildings in you know highly sensitive areas. Yeah. Um, and you know we're giving them these shit two-week courses. The training hasn't moved on. The 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 money in construction is just fucking spunked on shit. If it was any other industry, there'd be fucking riots. Honestly, it's a national scandal. Uh, but no one seems to give a fuck, and everyone seems to think that it's someone else's concern to train uh, their scaffolders. And I say, fucking train your own mate. 
Do you know what I mean? Yep. You tell them what the standards are, right? So, you know, I, I want to sit there and go, the industry is shit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, but, you know, two, you've got to get off your ass and invest as well, yeah. yeah? I think two, two points there that are really important. One, yes, get in there and, and train your own guys and make sure that they, they're adhering to your standards as well as best practice in the industry standards and all the rest of it. You know, you be the change you want to see in the world. But I think that point also applies to... Um, to getting involved with scissors and NASC and, you know, the scaffold association, whoever. But I think a lot of what you, what we have at the minute is sort of armchair critics. And I don't know what, I mean, LinkedIn I've found has been a really useful place. I think organically on its own, without giving it a name like this association or that association, people are coming together and attending talks like this and, getting involved in what we think might be good and beneficial for the scaffolding industry. Mate, it's been the same faces in Scissors for years, yeah? Mm. Same faces. Same faces. I mean, know, Try other, getting other, in there. You, you know, it's a closed shop, these these things. Say what you like, right? The, the money is not going somewhere. It's not going on training. It's going back into the pockets of big employers. I've been there, do you know what I mean? I've, I, know, I know what the grants are. You know, they're significant. It's almost cost neutral, depending on what you pay the guys. Um, to employ someone you're going to employ anyway, who's then qualified in 18 months when, you know, people are going to learn at different speeds. It's a fucking disaster. Well, sorry, I think, sorry, I, sorry, think sorry, I'm I think we are going too off track now. I mean, I would like, <laughs> to, I would like to have one talk in the future about, this, about the scaffold training, but... We were here about scaffold collapses, so yeah. Yeah, so I went on a rant, but uh, <laughs> but you know, it, like I think like you're passionate like about some reason. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That ties is another reason, but let, let's go back with. with I'll shut the fuck up. Sorry, man. <laughs> but I mean, no. just before we move on on the point, which we, we definitely need to, but I think the the point still stands for every single aspect of why a scaffold might collapse. Um, I don't think the, I mean, we talk about information, aren't we? I don't think the principal contractors get the right information or training. I don't think they know how much responsibility when it comes to the scaffolding rests on them. Mm. I don't think the scaffolders themselves are perhaps getting the right type or um, level or amount of training that they need. I don't think the other operatives and trades on site get the right level or amount of training about how important it is to not tamper with the scaffold, about how you should make sure you don't overload, overload the scaffold. I think information is key with everything. Um, and the more well, you training... Give, you give people the safe work in our day, yeah. I mean, a, a bricklayer, well, the hod carrier, you ask him how much a brick weighs, yeah? And then ask him how much that equates to a killing you, you know? And, and everyone's looking at you with blank looks, yeah? You know, what? it's a good question that for Alejandro. Fucking ask backwards in this industry. Yeah, I think that's a good good question for you, that Alejandro. Um, from a, is there a reason? Because I know we've got the like the uh, BSCN uh, 12811, 12810. Yeah, yeah. Is there a reason why we can't? Or you know, everything's communicating and killing newtons, and I do get a lot of blank stares when I'm delivering training courses, and when I'm out with clients, and they're like you have to say, well, it's about it's about hundred kilograms, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Why aren't we just telling people you can put, you know, two hundred kilograms per meter square on a, you know, a general purpose independent, for example? Well, that's funny because actually, uh, well, one thing for I mean, we use kilonewtons because that's the standard uh, 
unit for 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 loads in structural engineering and and also i mean t20 or ps i mean en 12811 is also in kilonewtons for you know load class one two three etc but funny enough for example here in italy they design uh, scaffolds in kilograms per meter square mm -hmm. so also the wind the the local uh, standard provides different wind loads depending of, of heights and locations i don't I'm, I, i'm not completely familiar with it but it's always in kilograms per meter square so is there any reason that you cannot add the load in kilograms no i, I don't see any reason also i mean on many occasions when you you see a design or i prepare a design uh, for example for a lifting load most of the time is in kilograms or or maybe in tons if you have you have to lift one ton you say one ton i mean i think the scaffolders know how much a ton is but yeah you're right for for everything else tie loads or load class it's we always put kilonewtons mm -hmm. and i get that i get why because that is the standard unit of, of yeah. measurement but it's kind of like i guess it's the, similar to like you wouldn't necessarily tell a doctor might not tell you to take amoxicillin it might you know they might say antibiotics because we know what antibiotics are whereas to give it its actual the name of the compound or whatever amoxicillin um it might be more difficult i think you know we've got to remember the people who are actually using these scaffolds a lot of us got into construction because we weren't that academically gifted when we went to school um and then when you start talking to people you know in kilonewtons per meter square you know we're from that kind of background similar to myself it's um it can be say, quite, I, I'm gifted academically <laughs> no i mean actually uh i mean one of the reasons i started posting about scaffolding and, and did the, those videos is to explain in simple language to any anyone especially scaffolders obviously what a kilonewton is or why you know we, we put a beam there or cantilever but i mean so it's easy to understand but like you say why cannot we put everything in kilograms. Well, actually, we could. I mean, that's nothing. I'll tell, you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why, because everyone thinks that everyone else knows what it is and they're too scared to say. <laughs> that is well, do you know what? It's like the AIP. It's like when Alejandro says, I do AIPs. And I know it's, it's easier to write that than it is approvals and principle, but, you know, you hear these things banded about in meetings and like, like uh so we on top of the aip yeah on top of the aip and um itps that all been updated we got you know clear up i'm like i know what you mean phil you could be sat there thinking i ain't got a strongest clear. person in the room puts their hand up and says sorry mate don't know what you're talking about 100 amazed at the people who go thank god <laughs> yeah thank god so yeah i mean what that's, is what it's actually... here and fucking said nothing you've got actions from this thing you know, it's, again, it's just, I, 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 I find it challenging, you know, and people are trying to outdo each other. We can all come up with acronyms, do you know what I mean? So, um, but ultimately what we need to do is understand, you know, a complex, construction is so complex. People don't, you don't get credit for that. You know, there's so many interfaces. When you add in party walls and all sorts of weird stuff that can, happen you know it becomes even more complex so you got some university grad who's trying to procure a scaffold package or get some scaffolding in place potentially it's a disaster you've got to guide them through it and 
you know, that gets lost, you know. Yeah. People seem to revel in the fact that, you know, that they can catch them out or, you know, and, um, you know, that's a frustration for me because, um, you know, I just, 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 I just, yeah, I, 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 it's just not how I sort of, uh, you know, I'd rip anyone off given the chance, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, if you can get away with it, I mean, you know, they're happy to pay you an inflated fee for something, then fine, but I'd actually maybe, can you edit that bit out? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm recording. Anyway, I'm stuck with that one, and I? Well, just a couple of things before moving on to something else. Time is flying. So, just for the, just for as a reminder, one kilometer equals one hundred kilograms. Two, then, yeah, exactly. Keep keep then, it simple. Yeah, and actually, uh, well, I, I must say also that I have designed hundreds of scaffolds, but. I know that on plenty of occasions, no scaffolder had a look at my drawings. So that's also something to consider. For a scaffold collapse, one, that the scaffolders don't understand the drawing, or maybe yeah. they don't understand what kilonewton is, or the tie loads testing, or whatever. And also that, no, it happens that, uh, I mean, if you don't know what's the maximum load, you can overload it, and that, that causes a scaffold collapse. And also, if they don't understand the drawing, they will probably not erect it, erect it properly, and that can be another reason for a scaffold collapse. Uh, Phil, I think you were familiar with a scaffold collapse that involved overloading in London many years ago. I think he's gone feeding no. the dog. I heard a dog bowl. There's <laughs> <laughs> Barney on, right? Well, actually, you know, what a, yeah, uh, he's running mums, actually, but... Um... He's been to the vets today. Of, uh, yeah, it's a bit of drama, but he's all right. Um, yeah, sorry. The question was um, uh, the scaffold collapse. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, back in the 90s, a bit of a story behind it, actually. We were doing a tower block. Um, in, it was probably about 90, I think it was 98, 97. We were doing a tower block um, on the top of Threadneedle Street in the city. So where that Marks and Spencers is now, it's like a 50 pence piece shaped scaffold. And we were driving over London Bridge back to the yard. And we saw them, uh, there was a massive scaffold coming down Adelaide House that's just on the north um, um, of uh, London Bridge. Um, and um, I remember my boss going, look at that, look at all the kit they stacked on the... So they were taking down one elevation, they were walking the kit around the corner, stacking it on the scaffold. It's a classic. Milton Keynes was the same, right? Because, you know, depending on where the tie is, and quite often it's located further back, people will take the return as a tie, if you like. So, um, literally, and this is the early days of mobile phones as well, so it's quite novel. We got into about Bermondsey, so anyone knows, you go over London Bridge, you turn left, you go down Tailbridge Road, and then you're in Bermondsey. Um, and and um, the guy from Kelpro called our client, he said, have you heard about a scaffold collapse in London Bridge? And we were like, no. Um, obviously, we just saw them. But um, years later, um, I, um, I joined um, <coughs> the company, um, you know, in a very senior position um, that suffered collapse. And, um, you know, there, was, um, there had been some footage um, of the collapse, quite unusual in those days, but, you know, people had cameras and camcorders and stuff, and it was just some tourist sort of posing on the bridge, and the scaffold just 
falls down like a pack of cards. I'm talking, um, I can't remember what that elevation is, but let's say it's 30, 40 metres, the elevation, and there's probably 10 lifts fully boarded. It just collapsed like a pack of cards. And you can see, you could see the ties just pinging out of the wall. Um, it was pretty impressive. So obviously it didn't go down well on a big firm like Linden. So um, the um, uh, SHEQ director at the time, Steve Moore, um, he bought the rights somehow. Um, he bought the copyright to the video, and then we proceeded to write to everyone who hosted the video on the internet and threaten them unless they removed it. So I think uh, heard this story before. I don't think um, I have a copy, but it's a pretty incredible video if you could find it. But um, again, a, a, another classic um example of lack of supervision poor supervision um you know lack of training unsuitable scaffolders working in a remote location so you know that was you know residually 10 or 15 years later you know that's what that's what they were saying so um yeah that's uh that was that mm. Well, we're getting to our sort of 20 minutes from then. Now. I don't know how anyone else feels about this, but um, we've got 52 people in the uh, in the call there. Does anyone thought of any questions or any short stories they'd like to share? Well, I, one of the issues maybe that cause scaffold collapse is when the, the, the foundation fails. And I mean, one of the reasons I have seen some photos before is that other con other con subcontractors need to maybe install some pipes or the scaffold is on the way, they start digging around the uprights and maybe they dig too much and some uprights are, you know, they lose footing and then the whole thing comes down. And then another important aspect to consider for scaffold upright, obviously beside, I mean, you put the solveboard, but the base plates, and this is something I cannot understand. The base plates to be EN74 compliant or T20 compliant must be five millimeters thick and with a steel 235, like a type 4 scaffold tube. Now, there are, plain, there are several suppliers in the UK that are offering base plates that are 1.5 mil, 2 mil thick, 3 mil thick, 4 mil thick. Now, those are not compliant with T20. I don't, I don't know why they can sell them, but if you are putting them up, just consider that in case of an inspection or some other issues on site, I don't know for about the insurance level, but you may have an issue. So is this an issue for the uh, suppliers, um, you know, that, that industry? Because of course there's a market from elsewhere. If you know there's there's smaller, more lightweight, you know, working under different codes, um, you know, they might be, um, you know, they might be suitable for certain purposes. Just re miss miss sold or or you know uh, mispurchased, if you like, with yeah. people people not realising. Right. I see Mark is with his hand up. Give me a second. Uh, if I give it. Oh yeah, there you go. You have to unmute. Yeah. Now then, yeah. Perfect. Hello, Mark. Now then, he okay? Yes. Good, good. Hello, Mark. So, How are you? 
Happy New Year. Um, so EN74-3 states, 5 mil base plate. It's also transferred into TG20, it's 5 mil base plates. Um, some suppliers years ago started to make thinner base plates because it, it was cheaper. And that's the only reason that, that they're in the marketplace. But if you read NESC, TG20, BSEN74, uh, it clearly states what a base plate is and should be. Um, how it's been missed is, is mindless in the industry. Because if you think about a 4 mil tube um, sitting on a, a 2 or a 1 mil thick base plate, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, deform and deflect. So when you, when you see a base, a, a base plate down on top of a base pad, the first thing that's going to happen is base pad's going to split in half lengthways through the pressure of the standard and impose load. So it just snaps under its self weight, never mind any other weight that's going on there. <coughs> and, it's, and it's massively missed in industry. Um, not to mention the people who undermine the scaffolds, etc., or are putting services under. But it, it's definitely a common cause. When when I've seen loads of scaffold, you walk around and you see a base plate uh, that doesn't conform with industry standards sat on a base pad, and the base pad split, and the base plate's deformed and and facing up over, then. It just clearly states that the base plate isn't. It's a really interesting one. I'm looking through um, the library of NASC guidance documents at the minute. Uh, mm -hmm. You have, I mean, the, the ones that you'd obviously look at would be, you know, TG20 and the, the operational guide and the, uh, the design guide as well. Yeah. So all the different types and um, specs for the components would be be mentioned there. But then obviously you've got things like your, your PGs, uh, product guidances. Yeah. And I'm looking... Uh, there is a product guidance for EN74 couplers, which obviously doesn't include um, uh, the base plates. It's, it's the coupler specifically that they're getting at. Uh, there's a purchasing guideline for um, ancillary products, um, things like uh, aluminium scaffolding boards, steel scaffolding boards, composite scaffolding boards, plastic soap plates are in there, but there doesn't yeah. seem to be any purchasing guidelines for, uh, unless I'm misreading, there is for tube, there is for boards, but it doesn't seem to be one for um, the fit, for the uh, for the base plates. So, yeah. if anyone at the if anyone from the NAC is listening from the technical committee or the <laughs> safety committee, so it, it's been missed for long, Isaac. It's been missed for so long, mm. but it, it, it's in it's in the operation guide. It's a clear document in EN seventy four. Mm. Uh, it's stipulated right through both documents, but it's. But it's sort of hidden. Yeah, but I mean, I, I get that. But like, with you know, that's a technical guidance in it. So it's like these are what you should use. Well, how do we go about procuring them? That the seems first, to be. It seems to be a hole. It does seem to be massive like a hole. The, the first thing, the first thing any scaffolding contractor does is lay a, uh, a footing. So it's either yeah. a base pad down and a base plate, and then a standard. 
it can't go any other way. Mm. And it's missed. It's missed out of TG20. Well, <coughs> certainly missed out of the uh, the um, per product product purchasing guidelines, yeah. which I find yeah. really, really, uh, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, should, should, should there be a management of scaffolds um, course? Um, what, as in a, know, a, a scissors or a NASC or? Well, the industry. I mean, I wouldn't want anyone other than our industry. I mean, you know, you can imagine. Well, we I know one training provider that's offering that course. I'm not going to say the name, but I wouldn't allow them to tell me how to do. I mean, I've been on some of their courses and I wouldn't let them teach me how to do anything. Uh, they're not scaffold specific, by the way, just to make that, that clear. But um, but yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You, you would want someone from within the scaffolding industry. Uh, Dave's got his hand up. Dave Abraham. Uh, yeah, yeah, we just say that those five mil for the base plates have been also, in, it was already in T2013, so it's not something new. No, no, it's not new. Hello, David, you need to unmute yourself before that. Yeah, I, I just want to say that, hello everyone, and it's actually in section 5.1 of TG20 about the five mil. Yeah. So it is in there, and it also mentions about the, the shank on it, how big the shank should be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it is, it, it is, sorry, Isaac, it is picked up on training courses, but again, I can't answer for all training centres on that, but it is picked up on training courses in the basic inspection part one, part two. Obviously, I the think it's even right the way into the cots, Dave. I think it, it's, yeah. it's referencing that as well. No, it, I, I get that it's in the uh, the technical guidance. I'm just looking in the purchasing guidance, you know, for because like Mark's saying, um, all right, we, we know we need to use this type of um, a base plate. You know, I found it a bit strange that it wasn't in the purchasing guidelines. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one, no one um, at NASC, as it, as yet it would seem, has given us any clear sort of message as to where to, or what, or what we need to be procuring. Do you know what I mean? And how and, and whatnot. Well, it's, it's the, first thing, the first thing that a scaffold gets built off is a base plate. Hmm. Yeah, purchasing guideline. I would, I would have expected it to be in there. Um, usually, I don't know how <laughs> some of the organisations I've worked for. I'm not going to fucking name names again, like. But um, yeah, usually, if you find a problem and you're the person who found the problem, you get the award of having to solve it. <laughs> so I'll solve um, it. If if someone on the technical committee at NASC, yeah, you know, this is the thing that we've spoke about NASC, spoke about this and all the rest of it, and I think. That, that is what we need. If we, we identify holes and gaps, then we have a voice and we can engage. It only takes an email, doesn't it, to get in touch with somebody. Oh, by the way, do you know this is missing? Can I help you um, Can I help you add it? Uh, you know, unless, yeah. they, unless they're out of their minds. <laughs> so, uh, you know, free help, surely. And uh, well-intentioned free help, surely they'd be... Um, they'd yeah. be I'm not, not going to go off piece here because we're talking about scaffold collapses, but... Um, I was telling Alejandra uh, this morning about we did some jobs on York, York College, York University, uh, when I had Tiger. And we used the self-closing gates with a kickboard, um, the yellow ones. Yeah, the integrated uh, Yeah, and there was another well, another three companies on there, and they all used a, a cape scaffolding um 
and it was just a frame. Um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and and I would get picked up on my uh, inspection about using ready locks with no bracing. Yeah. Um, so every week we had to put our test report in for the ready locks, and every week it would it would pull me on it. And I said to one week, do you never not pull them ladder gates because they're non-compliant? And he went, no. I said, well, what's the reason? Because they don't conform with our industry. He just said, the amount of gates in the industry of that type would cost too much to remove. So we allow them to stay in. And I said, well, that's not the answer. If they don't conform, they shouldn't be in. And this is what I'm saying about the base plates. If they don't conform with what we've been told and test to, then why should we be selling one to three mil base plates in this industry? Yeah, it's quite hard to understand. There was somebody else with, with a hand up, but I, it's disappeared. Uh, uh, I'm just having a look through the uh, the comments and chat. Ah, uh, someone's someone good webinar. Uh, Isaac, I was involved in the Milton Keynes class when I used when I used to be the MT for Bolton Scaffold, who were the original manufacturers of the couplers. You hit the nail on the head. There was no procurement standards for the scaffolding, unlike uh, Cares, which is in place uh, for steel. So, interesting comment there from John. I don't know if he's still in the. Uh, in the call and if he wants to put his hand up and maybe uh, share more about that, that'd be interesting. John, are you there? Put your hand up. <laughs> I think we've lost him. Uh, I'll throw it open to anybody else though, if anybody else yeah, wants to. Have, um... yeah. David is oh. asking again for. Okay. Yeah. Keen's class, Isaac, uh, was a lot, lot more than just just that, uh, in my previous life, we worked in the company who was the expert witness on that case. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more than just the fittings that the actual company ran out of material. The qualifications of the, the lads who built the job, the company had maxed themselves out with the uh, with the higher companies to purchase the material. So they started to use stuff from the, from the yard racks and different stuff like that. So the Milton Keynes class, there's a lot more to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, than, than just the fittings. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I remember Ian. He just had, he just had handrails lapping over, just hanging there. They, they had to stagger the lifts like the, the platform I've got was like six inches higher than the other platform because they had no sleeve couplers and so on. So there was a lot, lot more involved in that. Yeah, I've, I've still got the original pictures. I remember speaking to, I know Ian File was, uh, he was pretty yeah. instrumental in the, uh, he was, yeah. In the, what's it called? In the, and I remember him giving that speech. I think it was, I can't remember it was, um, it was some, some sort of forum, but as with anything, Dave, do you know what I mean? It's so many different reasons going into it. I mean, you've, you've touched on a few there, sheeting attached to it that, that shouldn't have been. I think as an interim measure, once the uh, cladding contractor had started taking out uh, ties the box yeah. tied around the tower crane which if anyone knows anything about tower cranes they move <laughs> do, do you know what i mean uh and fucking you know that's i get a tip of the iceberg there's so many other things there as well no design um 
Yeah, everyone, you know, when you when you cast your mind back to it, the, the hysteria is about scaffold collapse in the high winds, and it's always the high winds that get mentioned first. Yeah. Well, it's 6.50, well, sorry, 5.56 in the UK. Uh, I don't know if you have any, any last minute additions or questions. Oh, there is someone, give me a second. Mark there. Hello, yeah. Hello, Mark. You need to unmute yourself. Or maybe you can do it directly. No. Ah, Charlie. Mark? Mark, you're on mute, mate. We can't hear you. At, at the bottom right of your of your screen, you will see the microphone. Just click on it to activate it. Oh, if you're struggling with your uh, if you're struggling with your mic, Mark, uh, you can always ping us a message on um, a, a DM, and I'm happy to read out any comments. While we're waiting for any of that, does anybody else in the uh, in the chat want to share something? Maybe a story or you know of a, a scaffold collapse, something you've had to investigate uh, or worked on. Well, my old my old man rest his soul uh, in I would think uh, mid to late seventies, uh, working on a cooling tower on ICI Wilton, and. They were up to the almost to the top, sort of three hundred feet mark, and there was a, a shortage of material on site. So some scaffolders decided to take all the braces out of the first two lifts while they were up there, oh, and the whole thing collapsed. Um, no one was killed. It buckled about a hundred feet from floor. And Dad was popping ribs like they were going out of fashion. Um, just while they were holding on to Andrel. And it just twisted round and round till it, till it found itself. So the importance of, of building correctly and not tampering with what's already been installed are, are paramount to avoiding any scaffold collapse at any stage. Yeah. And I, I guess there's just so much more to be done. I think little little talks like this, they do help. Yeah, totally, uh, yeah. It's iceberg. But, you know, the more stuff, the more uh, information. <coughs> uh, yeah. The more, the better for everybody and for the industry as a whole, which is, you know, this is what these talks are all about. Yeah. I, um, I would say... I would say uh, now is open it to the floor. Does anybody want to speak about anything for next time? Well, for, for next time, Mark, uh, I don't know whether we touched on this before, but the next uh, topic we're going to be discussing on the uh, the scaff scaffolding talks, mm. um, and I know NASC are doing a web webinar about this tomorrow. I'd encourage everybody, um, if you can, if you've got the time. I know it's two o'clock, so it's you know kind of in the daytime for those who are still sort of out on the spanners. But it's around mental health in the scaffolding industry. Um, 
the next talk that we do will also be on the same subject, uh, just to give everybody a bit of an update. Um, I have been, <laughs> and Mark's been involved with this. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, mm. I've been selling um, or starting to uh, send out pairs of underpants for um, people to sort of sport or buy. Uh, what we try to do is we try to raise money for a charity, uh, essentially centered around suicide present, uh, prevention for for men. Uh, it's a charity called Andy's Man Club. Uh, it's a charity that's close to my heart. Um, I lost my dad in 2009. Uh, he took an overdose. And 30 months after that, uh, my stepdad took his own life. So uh, it's a subject that's really, really close to me. Um, I have always tried to get as much positive information about seeking help um, out there as I possibly can. Um, I know Alejandro, um, the same. Um, so if you can tune into that one and if you can support the um, the campaign for Andy's Man Club, it would be very much appreciated. Uh, Alejandro, anything to add to that? No, I was going to say the same thing. NASC Mental Health Webinar tomorrow at 2 in the UK. But yeah, you already say that. So yeah, next next or next meeting will be one month from now. Around mid February, I will have Ian, Ian uh, Hines, if I pronounce his last name correctly, and Paul Lynn, at least, since they are more experts than on the subject. But yeah, that's, I think that we have run out of time. Oh, somebody is asking to speak. Uh, well, maybe last minute. Okay. Hello, uh, Adrian? No? Erling, hi. Hello. I, I think you're in the chat. I think we've got you. No, it's Mark. <laughs> no, no, nothing. Never mind. No, no more fan races. Okay. Well, that was all. Thanks for everyone who, who. Oh, so Adrian, do you want to ask, ask anything quick? He's muted. Oh. Uh, Erling, your uh, bottom right-hand corner, you should see a microphone icon. If you give that a click, that should let you into the chat. Okay, unfortunate. Okay. <laughs> yeah, next time maybe. Well, thanks for everyone for listening, for all the interventions, and we'll see you next month to talk about mental health. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bye. guys, and have a safe week. Bye-bye.